0: Hi, everyone. I'm Alex. Welcome to Reading Poorly. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. Epilogue. (laughs) Clearly, this will be the last episode of Robin Hood, and we'll see what comes next week. Honestly, I'm not even sure yet, so clearly I will know before next week, though, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe I'll take a week off. (laughs) I don't really plan to, but we'll see. Um, yeah epilogue thus end the merry adventures of robin hood roll book notes liner notes for in spite of his promise it was many a year ere he saw sherwood again after a year or two at court little john came back to nottinghamshire where he lived in an orderly way though within sight of Sherwood, and where he achieved great fame as the champion of all England with the quarterstaff. Will Scarlet, after a time, came back to his own home. Once he had been driven by his unlucky killing of his father's steward, the rest of the band did their duty as royal rangers right well, but Robin Hood and Alan Dale did not come again to Sherwood so quickly, for thus it was. Robin through his great fame as an archer became a favorite of the king so that that he speedily rose in rank to be the chief of all the Yemen. Captain of the guard, or something. Um, At last the king, seeing how faithful and how loyal he was, created him Earl of Huntingdon. I almost said Huntington, but no, it's a D. Huntingdon. So Robin followed the king to the wars, and found his time so full that he had no chance to come back to Sherwood for even so much as a day. As for Alan Dale and his wife, the fair Ellen, remember Ellen Adale, um, they followed Robin Hood and shared in all his ups and downs of life. And now, dear friend, I guess Alan's probably, you know, chronicling Robin's adventures. Um, they may, we'll see. Um, there There are many stories that frame themselves as being from the perspective of one of the characters who happens to be a bard or a historian or something like that, who's writing it all down. Um, In fact, I think The Hobbit, maybe not. But I wanna say that The Hobbit is framed as being written by Bilbo, because he writes There and Back Again, which is an alternate title for The Hobbit. Um, And it's like his, his journal. And if I remember correctly, The Wheel of Time might be written from the perspective, or at least partially, of one of the characters. Loyal, because he's a historian type. History nerd. And now, dear friend, you who have journeyed with me in all these merry doings, I will not bid you follow me further, but will drop your hand here with a good den if you wish it. That which cometh hereafter speaks of the breaking up of things, and shows how joys and pleasures that are dead and gone can never be set upon their feet to walk again. I will not dwell upon the matter, o- the matter over long, but will tell as speedily as may be, er, as speedily as may be, of how that stout fellow Robin Hood died as he had lived, not at court as Earl of Hunt- Huntingdon, but with bow in hand, his heart in the Greenwood and he himself a right yeoman. Well, I guess I should just stop here then. Okay, good night. No. (laughs) King Richard died upon the battlefield in such a way as properly became a lion-hearted king. As you yourself, no doubt, no. I didn't, but I probably should have. So, after a time, the Earl of Huntingdon, or Robin Hood, as we will call him, um, as of old... I'm going to have to look up the to see if there's a real Earl of Huntingdon. Finding nothing for his doing abroad, came back to Mary England again. With him came Alan Adale and his wife, the Fair Alan. <laughs> so, yeah, the Fair Alan. Um, For these two had been chief of Robin's household ever since he had left Sherwood Forest. So much for Little John. It was in the springtime when they landed once more on the shores of England. The leaves were green... And the small birds sang blithely, just as they used to do in fair Sherwood when Robin Hood roamed the woodland shades with a free heart and a light heel. All the sweetness of the time and the joyousness of everything brought back to Robin's mind his forest life. So that a great longing came upon him to behold the woodlands once more. It doesn't say how old he was. So he went straight away to King John and besought leave him to visit nottingham for a short season the king gave him leave to come and to go but bade him not stay longer than three days at sherwood well that's not very nice so robin hood and alan Adale dale set forth without delay to nottinghamshire and sherwood forest the first night they took up their in- their inn at nottingham town yet they did not go to pay their duty to the sheriff for his worship bore many a bitter grudge against Robin Hood. Same, ser- same sheriff. Robin Hood cannot be that old then, probably. Which grudges had not been lessened by Robin's rise in the world. The next day, at an early hour, they mounted their horses and set forth for the woodlands. As they passed along the road, it seemed to Robin that he knew every stick and stone that his eyes looked upon. Yonder was a path that he had oft times trod of a mellow evening, with little John beside him. Here was one, now nigh choked with brambles, along which he and a little band had walked when they went forth to seek a certain kirtle friar. Thus they rode slowly onward, to talking about these old familiar things, old and yet new, for they found uh, more in them than they had ever thought before thought of before thus at last they came to the open glade and the broad wide spreading greenwood tree which was their home for so many years neither of the two spoke when they stood beneath the tree robin looked all about him at the well-known things so like what they used to be and yet so different for here once was the bustle of many busy fellows was for where once was the bustle of many busy fellows was now the quietness of solitude. And as he looked, the woodlands, the greensward, and the sky all blurred together in his sight through salt tears, for such a great yearning came upon him as he looked on these things, as well known to him as the fingers of his right hand, that he could not keep back the water from his eyes. That morning... He had slung his good old bugle horn over his shoulder, and now, with the yearning, came a great long- longing to sound his bugle once more. I mean, the are rangers. They're, they could be around. He raised it to his lips. He blew a blast. T- Tarilla l- Lirilla? I don't know what that means. The sweet, cl- I mean, it's like a, I think it's a onomatopoeia-ish thing of the horn, but The sweet, clear notes went winding down the forest paths, coming back again uh, from the more distant bosky shades in faint echoes of sound, Terilla, Lorilla, Terilla, Lorilla, until it faded away and was lost. Now it chanced that on that very morn, Little John, of course, was walking through a spur of the forest upon certain matters of business and as he paced along sunk in meditation the faint clear notes of a distant bugle horn came to his ear as leaps the stag when it feels the arrow at its heart so leap little john when that distant sound met his ear all the blood in his body seemed to rush like a flame into his cheeks and he bent his head and listened again came the bugle note thin and clear and yet again it sounded then little john gave a great wild cry of yearning of joy and yet of grief and putting down his head he dashed into the thicket onward he plunged crackling and rending as the wild boar rushes through the underbrush. little reckon wrecked he little wrecked he of thorns and briars that scratched his flesh and tore his clothing for all he thought of was to get by the shortest way to the green wood glade whence he knew the sound of the bugle horn came out he burst from the covert at last, a shower of little broken twigs falling about him, and, without pausing a moment, rushed forward and flung himself at Robin's feet. Then he clas- clasped clasped, his arms around the master's knees, and all his body was shaken with great sobs. Neither could Robin nor Alana Dale speak, but stood looking down at little John, the tears rolling down their cheeks." <laughs> it's just kind of funny that he happened to be around <laughs> who else is coming while they thus stood seven. Yep. There we go. Royal Rangers rushed into the open glade and raised a great shout of joy at the sight of Robin and at their head was Will Stutely. Then after a while came four more panting with their running. And two of these four, it's, it's good that little John made it first though. And two of these four were, um, There's a lot of Wills in the Merry Band. Uh, Will, Scathelock, I don't remember him, and Midge the Miller. For all of these had heard the sound of Robin's horn. All these ran to Robin and kissed his hands and his clothing, with great sound of weeping. After a while, Robin looked around him with tear-dimmed eyes and said in a husky voice, Now I swear that never again will I leave these dear woodlands. I have been away from them and from you too long. Now do I lay, by the name of Robert Earl of. Yeah. Now I guess he's saying like I'm lying down, but this is my name now. Now do I lay by the name of Robert Earl of Huntingdon, and take upon me once again, that nobler title, Robin Hood the Yeoman. Um, At this, a great shout went up, and all the yeomen shook one another's hands for joy. The news that Robin Hood had come back again to dwell in Sherwood as of old spread like wildfire all over the countryside so that era said night seven night a week had passed nearly all of his old yeomen had gathered about him again but when yeah i was gonna say what about the king uh, but when the news of all this reached the ears of king john he swore both loud and deep and took a solemn vow that he would not rest until he had robin hood in his power dead or alive "'Oh, O oh Robin. "'Now there was present at court a certain knight, "'Sir William Dale, a, as gallant a soldier as ever donned harness. "'Sir William Dale was well acquainted with Sherwood Forest, "'for he was head-keeper over the, that part of it "'that lay nigh to good Mansfield town. "'So to him the king turned and bade him take an army of men "'and go straight away to seek Robin Hood.' Likewise, the king gave Sir William his signet ring to show to the sheriff that he might raise all his armed men to aid the others in their chase of Robin. So Sir William and the sheriff set forth to do the king's bidding and to search for Robin Hood. And for seven days they hunted up and down, yet found him not. You know, he could have done Robin the courtesy of, like, sending someone to be like, Hey, dude, you should really come back. You're in trouble, but I won't kill you or something I it seems a little unkingly i guess but now had robin been as peaceful as of old irony i think everything might have ended in smoke as other such ventures had always done before but he had fought for years under king richard and was changed from what he used to be it galled his pride to thus flee away before those sent against him Um, I guess maybe in smoke, meaning like he just disappears in a puff of smoke. Um, let's see. It galled his pride to thus flee, um, thus sent against him as a chased fox, chased fox, flees from the hounds. So thus it came about at last that Robin Hood and his yeoman met Sir William and the sheriff and their men in the forest and a bloody fight followed the first man slain in that fight. Was the sheriff of Nottingham? <laughs> okay, for he fell from his horse with an arrow in his brain. woe Ere half a score of shafts had been sped, everyone had a score to settle. Many a better man than the sheriff kissed the sod that day, but at last, William, Sir William Dale, I will said William Adele, Sir William Dale, being wounded and most of his men slain, he withdrew, beaten, and left the forest but scores of good fellows were left behind him, stretched out, all stiff beneath the sweet green boughs. But the, but though Robin Hood had beaten off his enemies in, a, in fair fight, all this lay heavily upon his mind, so that he brooded over it until the fever seized upon him. For three days it held him, and though he strove to fight it off, he was forced to yield at last. Thus it came that on the morning of the 4th he probably had an infection, On the morning of the fourth day, he called Little John to him and told him that he could not shake the fever from him, so that he would go to his cousin, the prioress of the nunnery near Kirklees in Yorkshire, who was a skillful leech, skilled with leeches, and he would have her open a vein in his arm and take a little blood from him for the bettering of his health. "'cause that was a thing back then. "'Then he bade Little John make ready to go also, "'for he might perchance need aid in his journeying. "'So Little John and he took their leave of the others, "'so Robin Hood bade Will Stutely be the captain of the band "'until they should come back. "'Thus they came by very easy stages and slow journeying "'until they reached the dunnery of Kirkley's. "'Now Robin had done much to aid his cousin of his, "'this cousin of his.' For it was through King Richard's love of him that she had been made prioress of the place. But there is not in the world so easily forgot as gratitude. So when the prioress of Kirklees had heard how her cousin, the Earl of Huntingdon... Had thrown away his earldom and gone back again to Sherwood, she was vexed to the soul and feared lest her cousinship with him should bring the king's wrath upon her also. Thus it happened that when Robin came to her and told her how he wished her to service, er, wished her services as leech, she began plotting ill against him in her mind, thinking that by doing evil to him, she might find favor with his enemies. Nevertheless, she kept this well to herself and received Robin with seeming kindness. She led him up the winding stone stair to a room which was just beneath the eaves of a high round tower, but she would not let Little John come with him. So the poor yeoman turned his feet away from the door of the nunnery and left his master in the hands of the, wo- of the women. the hadn't mentioned any other nuns. That's why I said woman at first, of the women. But uh, though he did not come in, neither did he go far away, for he laid him down in a little glade. For he laid him yep yeah, himself down, I guess, in a little glade nearby. Two wor- or two words near space by, where he could watch the place that Robin abided, like some great faithful dog turned away from the door where his master had entered, has entered. I'm again, always reminded of Monty Python and the, uh, uh, where Sir Galahad was with the nuns. I think they were nuns. Naughty nuns. After the women had gotten Robin Hood to the room beneath the eaves, the Prioress, uh, set all of the others away. Sent all of the others away then taking a little cord she tied it tightly about robin's arm as though she were about to bleed him and so she did bleed him but the vein she opened was not one of those that lie close and blue beneath the skin Deeper she cut than that, for she opened one of those veins through which the bright red blood runs leaping from the heart. Of this Robin knew not, for, though he saw the blood flow, it did not come fast enough to make him think that there was anything ill in it. Having done this vile deed, the prioress turned and left her cousin locking the door behind her. All that live-long day the blood ran from robin she must just be bloodletting or instead of like putting a leech on it to you know suck him it was just letting it go draining him all that live long day the blood ran from robin hood's arm nor could he check it though he strove in every way to do so again and again he called for help but no one came for his cousin had betrayed him and little john was too far away to hear his voice so he bled and bled until he, that's a really messy way to go, um, until he felt his strength slipping away from him. Then he arose, tottering, and bearing himself up by the palms of his hands against the wall, he reached his bugle horn at last. Thrice he sounded it, but weakly and faintly, for his breath was fluttering through sickness and loss of strength. Nevertheless, little John heard it where he lay in the glade, and with a heart all sick with dread, he came running and leaping toward the nunnery. Loudly he knocked at the door. And, in a loud voice, um, in a loud sorry, uh, lost my spot. in a loud voice, shouted for them to let him in, but the door was of massive oak, strongly barred and studded with spikes who so they felt safe and bade little John be gone. Then little John's heart was mad with grief and fear for his master's life, wildly he looked about him, and his sight fell upon a heavy stone mortar, such as three men could not lift nowadays. Little John took three steps forward and bending his back heaved the stone mortar up from where it stood deeply rooted staggering under its weight he came forward and hurled it crashing against the door it burst the door and away fled the frightened nuns shrieking at at his coming then little john strode in and never a word said he but up the winding stone steps he ran till he reached the room wherein his master was here he found the door locked also but putting his shoulder against it he burst the locks as though they were made of brittle ice there he saw his own dear master leaning against the gray stone wall his face all white and drawn and his head swaying to and fro with weakness then with a great wild cry of love and grief and pity little john leaped forward and caught robin hood in his arms up he lifted him as a mother lifts her child, and carrying him to the bed, laid him tenderly thereon. And now the prioress came in hastily, for she was frightened at what she had done, well, yeah, and dreaded the vengeance of little John and the others of the band. Then she sta- stanched, 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 um. I don't know. I dressed it, stopped it, something. Um, Then she stanched the blood by cunning bandages so that it flowed no more. All the while, little John stood grimly by, and after she had done, uh, had done, he sternly bade her to be gone, and she obeyed, pale, pale and trembling. Then, after she had departed, little John spake cheering words, laughing loudly and saying that all this was a child's fright and that no stout yeoman would die at the loss of a few drops of blood. Why, quoth he, give thee a week, seven night. It's seven night except that thing with the apostrophe instead of a V, so it's really weird for me to say. And now we'll be roaming the woodlands as boldly as ever. But Robin shook his head and smiled faintly where he lay mine own dear little john wh- whispered he heaven bless thy kind rough heart but dear friend we will never roam the woodlands together again i but we will quoth little john loudly. i say again i out upon it who dares say that any more harm shall come upon thee am i not am i not by like am i not here let me see who dares touch here he stopped of a sudden for his words choked him at last he said in a deep husky voice Now, if aught of harm befalls thee because of this day's doings, I swear by St. George that the red cock shall crow over the rooftop of this roof tree of this house, for the hot flames shall shall lick every crack and cranny thereof. If you die because of this, I'm burning this place to the ground. As for these women, here he ground his teeth, it will be an ill day for them. (sighs) <sighs> um, don't blame all of them, just the prioress, but Robin Hood took little John's rough brown fist in his white hands and I guess chide, cause like it's not chided as you would see now, but it's probably the same meaning chid, C-H-I-D. So chide him softly in his low, weak voice, asking him, uh, Since what time Little John had thought of doing harm to women, even in vengeance. Thus he talked till, at last, the other promised, in a joking voice, that no ill should fall upon the place, no matter what happened. Then a silence fell, and Little John sat with Robin Hood's Hood's hand in his, gazing out of the open window, ever and anon swallowing a great lump that came in his throat. (laughs) Me too meantime the sun dropped slowly to the west till all the sky was ablaze with a red glory then robin hood in a weak faltering voice bade little john raise him uh, that he might look out once more upon the woodlands so the yeoman lifted him in his arms as he bade and robin hood's head lay on his friend's shoulder long he gazed with a wide lingering look while the others sat with bowed head "'the hot tears rolling one after another from his eyes "'and dripping upon his bosom, "'for he felt that the time of parting was near at hand. "'Then presently Robin Hood bade him "'string his stout bow for him "'and choose a smooth fair arrow from his quiver. "'This Little John did, "'though without disturbing his master "'or rising from where he sat. "'Robin Hood's fingers wrapped lovingly "'around his good bow, "'and he smiled faintly when he felt it in his grasp.' then he knocked the arrow on that part of the string that the tips of the fingers the tips of his fingers knew so well little john said he little john mine own dear friend and him i love better than all others in the world mark i pray thee where this arrow lodges and there let my grave be digged not dug not dug digged Lay me with my face toward the east, little John, and see that my resting place be kept green, and that my weary bones be not disturbed. I mean, you can't shoot an arrow all the way to the green tree, though. That would be the best place for you, right? As he finished speaking, he raised himself of a sudden and sat upright. His old strength seemed to come back to him, and drawing the bowstring to his ear, he sped the arrow out of the open casement. As the shaft flew, his hand sank slowly with the bow till it lay across his knees, and his body likewise sank, sank back again into Little John's loving arms. But something had sped from that body, even as the winged arrow sped from the bow. For some minutes, Little John sat motionless. But presently, he laid that which he had gently down. Or presently, he laid that which he had or held gently down he put robin down then folding the hands upon the breast and covering up the face he turned upon his heel and left the room without a word or sound a word or a sound upon the st- steep stairway he met the prioress and some of the chief among the sisters to them he spoke in a qu- deep quavering quivering voice quivering <laughs> pun probably not intended and said he and you go within a score of feet of yonder room Um, i will tear down your rookery over your heads so that not one stone shall be left upon another bear my words well in mind for i mean them don't go anywhere near him so saying he turned and left them and they presently saw him running rapidly across the open through the failing of the dusk until he was swallowed up by the forest the early gray of the coming morn was just beginning to lighten the black sky toward the eastward when little john and six more of the band came rapidly across the open toward the nunnery they saw uh, no one for the sisters were all hidden away from sight having been frightened by little john's words up the stone stair they ran and a great sound of weeping was presently heard after a while this ceased and then came the scuffling and shuffling of men's feet uh, as they carried a heavy weight down the steep and winding stairs so they went forth from the nunnery and as they passed through the doors thereof a great loud sound of wailing arose from the glade that lay all dark in the dawning as though many men hidden in the shadows had lifted up their voices in sorrow thus died robin hood at kirkley's nunnery in fair yorkshire with mercy in his heart, towards those um, towards those that had been his undoing, for thus he showed mercy for the erring and pity for the weak, for the erring and pity for the weak, through all the time of his living. His yeomen were scattered henceforth, but no great ill befell them thereafter, for a more merciful sheriff and one who knew them not so well, succeeding the one that had gone. And they being separated here and there throughout the countryside, they abided in peace and quietness so that many lived to hand down these tales to their children and their children's children. A certain one saith that upon a stone at Kirkley's is an old inscription. This I give in the ancient English in which it was written, and thus it runs. I'll try. Okay. Here, underneath, this little stain, stain lace Robert Earl of Huntington well, that time it's Huntington near artsier of fear as he say good in people called I'm Robin Hood sick. Outlaw Utlas, as he and is men England neither see again. Obit, oh, oh obit. Oh Twenty-four Cal Decembris, twelve forty-seven. Whoo! <laughs> it's written phonetically, so I was just doing my best. Um, but. It's basically, like, here lies, um, like, in this place or something, Robert, Earl of Huntingdon, um, never was there an archer as good as he, something like that, um, and everyone knew knew him as Robin Hood. He was an outlaw. Um... Uh, like, I think it's something like, um, outlaws such as he will never be seen in England again or something. I think Obit probably has or obit somehow related to obituary, but though it's an epitaph. So I, it'd be nice if there was an actual like translation of it <laughs> so that it made a, so that I could end with a little bit more sense, but I can't, um, well, I mean, there's one more paragraph. And now, dear friend, we also must part, for our merry journeyings have ended, and here at the grave of Robin Hood, we turn each going his own way. And that is the end. Ah, um, that is the end, I just said that, but um, of the merry adventures of Robin Hood. And we'll see where we go from here. So. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks for listening this long to me reading poorly.